are listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. This podcast features conversations with health entrepreneurs, care professionals, patient advocates, and industry change makers. What do they all have in common? The mission to humanize healthcare. In every episode, we offer unique stories paired with education, actionable tips, tricks, and takeaways, all to help you better navigate healthcare and transform it into human care. We're here today on the Human Care Podcast. All right, so today I'm speaking with Holly Toronto. I don't know if I should say Toronto like you do the city or Toronto, the way it's spelled. It's actually is Toronto, like the way it's spelled. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but I get that a lot, that Toronto, Toronto. <laughs> I'll accept <Yeah>. either. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm living in Rochester now, which is where you're from. So that's mm-hmm. super cool. Yes. And Toronto is only a couple hours away from here. So when I moved up here originally, I was like Toronto because I thought one is supposed to pronounce T's. Uh, <laughs> not when you're in Canada. But apparently not when you're in Canada. Yeah. So <laughs> clarification. Well, so I'll give your intro, you know, Holly Toronto, you, the beautifully beautiful Holly is a certified master level coach specializing in body image and intuitive eating. So I'm sure you can already understand without me saying anything else, why I've decided to bring Holly on this show. Uh, Holly is a, is certified through the health coach Institute and has four years of experience helping highly driven women stop dieting, say it again, stop dieting and build resilience to toxic beauty messages of which there are many in this world. She uses an intuitive and spiritual approach that guides her clients towards self-trust, confidence, and sovereignty over their entire body. We're going to have to talk about the word sovereignty use there. I love that word. Um, An entire being also being the body, mind, and soul. And from this place, her clients are able to make self-guided decisions and finally live the life they desire in the body they live in today. I just, I could eat that up. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> I love it all so much. It's the best so, feedback ever. <laughs> yes. So, you know, this is a, a human care is part of the chronic illness podcast network, Invisible Not Broken. But sometimes I feel that it's not necessary to focus on chronic illness because at the end of the day, we all experience some sort of chronic feeling in our body and our minds. And that's, absolutely the case when it comes to how we feel about our bodies and how that affects the rest of our lives. So that's one of the many reasons why I wanted to bring you on today to shed light on how we can feel. Well, actually, when we were talking earlier, you said not see your body as your enemy, but actually as a, as a human, as a person. Yeah. So I don't know if we should start off that. That's like a deep end, but uh, maybe would you give us a little bit of your backstory, like how you got into this amazing work? Sure. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm 
truly honored to be here. And I feel like this has been a long time coming. We've known each other for a couple of years at this point and have always talked about how uh, the chronic illness world, the invisible illness world can and does and, and absolutely should intersect with the body image world. I mean, they, they are deeply intertwined and body image is, is how we are seeing ourselves and sort of measuring ourselves on the, the perceived social ladder, right? And there's like, how do we fit in and, 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 you know, where, yeah, like, where do I stand? And of course, chronic illness and health play a role in that. And so it's, it's impossible to have a full conversation of body image without talking about somebody's well-being, their health, all of that. And so, um, yeah, just giving like a brief history of my background. So I, I moved to New York City when I was 18 years old and I was pursuing a career in the fashion industry, which is obviously an extremely image centric industry. Right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I absolutely fell into that, that space. Like I absolutely fell into the world of, uh, of dieting and wanting to shrink my body and wanting to fit into the, the, like the norm of like what I believe my body should look like. And so there was years of chronic dieting. There was years of trying to shrink my body, but it never felt like I could be quote unquote successful. Like I was one of those people that would like try that new diet and then like quote unquote fall off the wagon or recommit to going to the gym seven days a week and do it for three days and feel so sore that I wouldn't be able to go back for six months. Like I was totally that person. And what happened for me is I was also throughout the majority of my 20s, I was struggling with female adult acne. And so it felt like I was wearing my body image issues right on my face for everyone to see. And after I got married uh, six years ago, I decided that I wanted to take a more holistic approach to managing my acne, which can be a really beautiful path for many people. But there was an adverse outcome that happened for me in going down this route, which I can go into a little bit. So I started working with a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist, and I went on a really extreme elimination diet. So I cut out all of the anti-inflammatory foods. And this was supposed to be a very temporary, I'm sorry, I cut out all the inflammatory foods. It was the standard anti-inflammatory diet um, that I'm sure many, many people are aware of. And it was supposed to be a very temporary experience, about six weeks. And I was supposed to introduce these foods back in, see if anything had been triggering my acne. Well, that six weeks came and went and there was no plan for integration. There was no plan for like the testing phase to see, oh, was it gluten or was it dairy or whatever it might be. And, and I ended up staying on that diet for about a year and a half. And during that time, a few things happened. The first one being that my skin did not clear up. So not like no amount of cutting out sugar, gluten, dairy, any of that actually worked to clear my skin. But what did happen was that I lost a ton of weight, right? And a woman in this society, what, what greater accomplishment is there <laughs> than for her Fabulous, to lose right? weight, right? So I started to get all of that, that feedback, all of that praise from people around me, like, oh, you look so good now that you've lost that weight. And I'm like, well, what a backhand and compliment. Um, and so I actually like became a health coach because of that experience. So which is actually very, very common for many health coaches. They go on this like, you know, profound journey and like have this experience of weight loss or whatever it might be on a, on a certain diet and then become certified as a coach. And, and so that's, that's, that's why I started my business initially. And, um, many things were happening under the surface to me again, like my skin was not clearing up. Um, I, I, 
like I had lost a ton of weight, but I also was like starting to lose my hair. And I was one of those people who was like socially isolating and wouldn't go out with friends unless I was sure I could control the food, like those types of things. And um, so there was like all of these sort of like mental, spiritual, social health aspects of myself that were really starting to like deteriorate because I was so strict with what I was eating. And the biggest turning point for me happened when I was on a trip with my husband. We were in Alaska on this cruise and everybody, anybody who's been on a cruise knows, right? Like, what do you do? You go to the buffet, you eat, you have all of the foods available to you. And so here I was in front of this like buffet of like delicious foods that I had deemed off limits. And I found myself every single day, like having panic attacks. Like I had stomach aches, not because of the food, but because I was so anxious. And, um, it got to a point where my husband had to say to me like, Hey, you know, this actually doesn't seem very healthy. Like you don't seem happy. You don't seem like, well, like you're really anxious all the time. And it was a moment of reckoning for me. I I really had to like, look at, you know, what I had created for myself and my relationship with food, what I had been creating for other people potentially. And, you know, as, as the universe works, like, I don't know how, but the book intuitive eating had landed in my lap and it was the only book that I had brought with me on that trip. (laughs) And it completely changed the way I saw my relationship to food and my body. And I came back from that that trip and I did a lot of self-healing and completely shifted the focus of my coaching practice to really helping women approach their health from what we call a weight neutral perspective, really learning to accept their bodies as is and create a, a, a nourishing and healthy and calm and peaceful relationship to food so that they can put their energy and brain space towards more important things in their life beyond the pursuit of fitness. And so that's sort of like the, the cliff notes version of, of my, my heroine's journey to, to how I got to where I am today. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. It's, isn't it wonderful how it's these split moments in time just define our path. And, uh, for you, it was your husband speaking up. I mean, that was seemed like that was really the trigger. You probably knew it was coming. Like something clearly wasn't feeling right, but yeah, nice that a loved one pointed out to you what you were feeling because it, it was so intense on the inside that it actually bubbled out to that. Yes. Yep. It had to. Yeah. So there's on human care. I like to touch upon relationships because relationships define our world, whether or not we want them to. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's already so many relationships going on in the, the short story that you just told relationships, uh, with, I mean, with your husband, relationship with your clients, uh, relationship with your friends, your career, and of course, your yourself. Mm-hmm. A whole, whole lot of relationships that were disrupted by, uh, well, what you thought truth was around food and eating. So which one do we dive into first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually have one that like when you were reflecting that back to me that that came to mind that might actually be really helpful for people. Um, I, as, as I went on this journey in, you know, cutting out all of these different foods and becoming this like very like health focused person, I created an identity around that. Right. So people started to know me as Holly. She's so disciplined. 
Holly, she's so good, right? She's, she always know, like, she's always like cooking for herself and eating so healthy and she's always working out, right? And so I created this like persona for myself. And I think intuitive eating talks about it, like being putting, being put on the pedestal as like nutrition uh, expert or the health expert in your friendship circle. And, and, you know, I had a lot of praise for that and people didn't really know what was happening under the surface because I didn't want them to, right? It wasn't their fault that they didn't know. Like I genuinely didn't want them to. I had this like sense of self-worth and identity that was like resting on maintaining that persona. And so um, as I started to dismantle these systems within myself and these beliefs within myself and heal my relationship to food, um, there was a, uh, this fear that I had that people would either think that I had been a fraud, right? That people would start to see me differently. Like, oh, was that just BS? Like you just, you know, you weren't truthful with yourself. Would they think I was a fraud? Or, you know, for me and my personal story, like my body had to weight restore. Like I needed to actually put back on the weight that I'd lost because I, 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 that weight was not the right weight for me to be at. And so there was the body image stuff that came up for me. And there was this like, oh, are people going to see me as a quote unquote failure because I put the weight back on, right? And so I, I needed to really work on, uh, in my relationships, like being truthful with people and telling them like, Hey, this is what I've been going through. And I haven't been fully honest with you. And, and this, this is my fear, right? Like I, I like, I, I'm worried that you're going to think X, Y, and Z about me and just sort of naming it was really, really important. But then also it, it helped me understand that like in my relationships, uh, if there is like a persona that I'm trying to uphold or an identity that I feel like I need to maintain in that relationship, like I'm not being truly authentic and therefore that relationship isn't authentic, right? Our relationships shouldn't be fully dependent on somebody maintaining this certain way of being, right? Like true relationships will either call you out (laughs) when they're seeing something that's out of alignment, like my husband did, or also accept your nuance, your complexity and your, your evolution as we are all meant to do well, we're in earth school, right? When we're, while we're here. Yeah. Also, I, I found that while that's absolutely what we should do and I've always seen good outcomes from that, um, people still feel scared too because they're like, oh, you're so brave for being vulnerable and speaking your truth. But I gotta, I gotta ask you, when, when do you be, when is there a time you've been vulnerable and talked about how you, uh, I don't know, something had changed and sorry, I guess that's all, everything I was going to list is just vulnerability, being vulnerable and being honest with your, with yourself and a loved one. When has anyone ever like yelled at you or disagreed with you or, or made you feel bad when you did that? Never to me. And I think it's very rare. Yeah. I mean, I would say that Unfortunately, I, I have had that happen to me and I don't say that to scare anyone, um, but in certain relationships in my life, like this, especially when it came to, to the work that I was doing and, and starting to open myself up to, right? So uh, like I, in my health coaching practice, I practice using the health at every size model and health at every size is true weight neutrality. It means that weight is not um, 
the, the ultimate focus or really a focus at all in the work that I do with my clients because of what that does to somebody, how somebody shows up to their relationship with food. When they're in the pursuit of weight loss, inevitably there's going to be restriction and restriction backfires 98% of the time, right? And so in that work, I, that meant that I, I was doing a work on myself to dismantle fat phobia and weight stigma within myself and starting to advocate for that in the world around me. And this, this was becoming my truth, like believing that all bodies are good bodies, all bodies are worthy bodies, all bodies can be healthy and should have access to uh, medical care that's not stigmatizing and, and like uh, truly care and nourishment for their bodies. And, you know, expressing that to some people in my life was very confronting for them and they didn't like it. <laughs> they were like, no, like they wanted to stay in their belief system around that topic. And they did, they wanted to stay in their own sense of fat phobia and, and weren't able to see that. Um, and so it, it did, it, it has created rifts. It has created discomfort for me to share like, Hey, this is what I'm, what I'm creating. Like, this is what I'm putting out into the world. And this is, this is what I'm believing. Um, some people didn't like it. And you know what? That was an opportunity for me to learn how to let other people be in their truth while still maintaining my own, right? It's like, okay, great. Then like, maybe this isn't a topic that we can talk about. Uh, I'm not going to make you wrong, but I'm also going to stand really firmly in what I know to be true. Thank you for that. Yeah, I was I was going to say uh, that's exactly where I would have come from on that, which is also a very uh, enlightened approach recognizing that in general, if someone doesn't agree with you, doesn't mean that they're wrong or you're wrong. There, you are within the context of your life and their life, there is a mismatch, uh, but you know, it happens. And sometimes one will come around to the other and if, but if they don't, that's fine. Uh, I think that's actually one of my, been one of my biggest lessons in the last year or two. Uh, a game changer is I, I love to help people grow. Uh, it's like my greatest hobby. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm not a coach sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are like, you just are, you get that honorary title. Bit, <laughs> bit, some, some alternate universe I am. Uh, but I recognize that while it's a good intention and I know that I've had a positive impact on a lot of people's lives, uh, it's not my place unless I am a coach. Um, and uh, it's not necessarily what's right for them, even if it appears to be what's right for them. And while intuitive eating, I mean, just in its name is, is very telling. Uh, it's, it, we are so, so deep into diet culture. It is so ingrained in our brains and our behavior and for generations, generations, right? That anything going against that is very, very scary, mm -hmm. especially if they have found some solace or comfort or stability in that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. It can. And that's when, you know, when I'm working with my clients, a lot of times they get really excited about what they're learning and they're like, wow, you mean like, I never have to go on a diet ever again. I never have to try to force my body to become smaller ever again. And like, there's certain certainly fears that come with that, but there's also liberation and, you know, it's, they, they want to like educate their family and they want to share this with them and they want to be accepted for it and all of that. And I'm like, all right, like, let's take a, like, let, let's take a breath because like what, what, unfortunately we still live in a world that 
this, um, this way of being, this way of thinking, this way of approaching health and, and wellness is, is actually quite subversive. It's, it's controversial. It's not the dominant paradigm by any means. I mean, in the world that I've created for myself, it is, but like, I know going out into the world, that's like, that's certainly not the case. And so I, especially when my clients are like new to the work and they're, they're still vulnerable and fresh in it. I'm like, you might actually not be able to have those conversations yet with, with your family, because your family is, is probably still really entrenched in diet culture and, and isn't going to necessarily like that you're changing, right? There might be ways in which you've bonded with them in the past over dieting or certain exercise regimes or whatever it might be. And they're going to be, feel really confronted by it. And so there might be an opportunity to set boundaries and just say like, Hey, I'm not talking about this right now or finding other ways to bond with your family outside of like dieting and all of that kind of stuff. Because, um, yeah, like they, it's, it's, uh, it's especially when somebody is so new to the work to actually go through that education process with other people can feel really draining. Right. And I don't actually encourage them to do that until they feel really solid in it. Um, so like setting boundaries is like actually like the best way to approach that, especially when you're first starting to do this work. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I realize I don't think we have actually talked enough about what intuitive eating is. Oh, yes. <laughs> I realize we probably do that. <laughs> probably should, right? <laughs> it should be intuitive what intuitive eating is. But yeah, maybe we should know. actually talk about that. I realize because you and I are obviously very both in the know, but yes, yes. Let's, yeah, let's take a step back for a second and have you explain what intuitive eating is and you know, what are the major differences between that and diet, the, the typical dieting, and also maybe some myths, bust some myths on that? Yeah, let's, let's myth bust for sure. Okay, so I hate talking on this and like just go. So if you have questions or you feel like you want further clarity on something, just like interject. So intuitive eating is a research-backed practice theory um, that was created by two dietitians, Evelyn, Evelyn, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And it's now in its fourth edition. So the most recent edition, I believe just came out in June. And based the, the foundational premise of intuitive eating is to reject the diet mentality, right? Reject the diet mentality, reject dieting, stop dieting entirely. Right. And that means like things like lifestyle diets and things that like people are saying are not really a diet, but they actually are. They're just a diet in like a cuter outfit. Right. Like that's what I like to say. <laughs> and so just quick, like science lesson on why that's important because a lot of people get really like confused by that. Well, like, well, what if it's, you know, for my health or whatever it might be. So here's the thing about diets. There's 70 plus years of research that shows that diets don't work. In fact, they actually are far worse for someone's health than the weight itself. And the reason for that is because our bodies, our wise, intuitive, smart bodies have evolved to be acutely resistant to restriction, right? They learned how to calibrate for feast and famine so that we could continue to evolve and survive as a human species. And so anytime our bodies are experiencing or think they're experiencing something like a famine, they will do everything in their power to stay alive. And what that means is they will uh, turn, shut down metabolism, right? So our metabolism will slow down so we can serve more, right? They'll slow down energy levels so that we're not out uh, ex exerting a lot of energy. Um, and then they'll also load up cravings, load up thoughts around foods so that we eat 
right? So it's like these like biological mechanisms are being activated, get us to eat. So a lot of people who feel like they're addicted to food or they just have really intense cravings or compulsions around food, a lot of that is actually rooted in a sense of restriction, right? So diets is essentially, it's like a forced famine on our bodies that our bodies rebel against. And they're able to maintain it for maybe a short period of time, but inevitably biology will take over and then our bodies will probably put back on the weight that they lost and then some. So that's where like someone might experience rebound weight gain. And that's why people who are chronic dieters oftentimes end up in larger bodies than where they started in the first place, because our bodies are essentially saying hey, I don't trust you, right? You keep doing this thing where you make me smaller and I feel like I'm getting sick and like I'm not, I'm like not being fully nourished. And so I'm gonna actually put on more weight so that when, when and if you do this again, I have some reserves, right? So it's like, there's a massive distrust that's happening with the body. What I oftentimes hear from people is like, well, I stopped dieting a long time ago, right? Like I never, I, I don't diet, I don't restrict, right? I really eat whatever I want. But here's the thing we are, can even experience restriction on a psychological level. So the mere thought of that food is bad. I can't have that food. I shouldn't eat sugar. I shouldn't have that cookie. I can't have pizza, whatever it is, can create compulsive thoughts and erratic behaviors around those foods. Because that thought, like I can't have that, makes that food, that food a scarce resource right? So it's almost like we're experiencing the famine, but on a psychological level. It's like the classic example, don't think about a pink elephant, right? All you think about is the pink elephant. It's like, don't, don't eat the pizza. All you want is the pizza, right? And so intuitive eating is about, yes, stopping dieting entirely, like that in those like the, the calorie counting and the, the macro counting and all of that kind of stuff, but then also getting really curious about what's happening up here in your relationship with food that's also creating an inherent sense of restriction. So that's like the first step, rejecting the diet mentality, right? And there's, there's many, many steps, which I don't, we don't have time to go into entirely, but um, from that place, really what intuitive eating is working on is helping you honor your hunger, right? Eat when you're hunger, hungry, make sure that you always like have food available to you, right? When, when your body is asking for it, learning how to honor your fullness, um, focusing on foods that are satisfying and pleasurable, which is like for people who are chronic dieters are like, what? Satisfying and pleasurable. Like what is like, that's not something that I can allow myself to have, but like satisfaction is actually a huge part of having a healthy relationship with food, but like overarching all of this, overarching this whole intuitive eating practice is um, the, the principle of making peace with food. And the way to make peace with food, and this is what I'm supporting my clients in, is giving yourself unconditional permission to eat, right? And unconditional permission to eat, when people hear me say that, they're like, what kind of health coach tells people they have unconditional permission to eat? Like, she's out of her mind. <laughs> and And really, like, what this truly means is you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, whenever you want it. Pause, since I know we're on like a, a, a podcast where a lot of people have chronic illnesses and things like that. If you have a diagnosed medical condition, <laughs> right? I, this is not me telling you if you are celiac to go eat gluten or if you have a peanut allergy to go eat peanuts. No, this is not what I'm saying. This is more focused from like that weight loss body control perspective, right? When you're like, when you're feeling like I can't eat that thing because that will make me gain weight, right? Giving yourself unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, whenever you want it 
what that does is it actually calms your nervous system, right? It gets us out of this like fight or flight response that happens when we're in restriction. When we're in restriction, our bodies, again, like they're going into survival mode. So unconditional permission to eat, or we could also call this food neutrality, right? Like all foods are neutral, right? I'm allowed to eat whatever I want, whenever I want it. It allows our bodies to take a breath, right? And from that place, we get to make choices from our, for our body from a really empowered, calm, intuitive perspective, right? Where we get to ask ourselves, like, what would I really like today? And sometimes that might be pizza. And sometimes that might be salmon. And sometimes that might be donuts. And sometimes that might be peaches. And sometimes that might like, it's, it's a vast variety of foods become available to you. Right. And, and when that happens, um, when we give ourselves permission to eat these foods that once felt like they had control over us, where we might have like binge like behaviors around them, they suddenly become a lot more neutral, right? Where we're able to be like, okay, I can have that pizza and I can stop when I'm full. I don't have to eat the whole thing. I don't have to eat the whole bag of chips or the whole tub of ice cream, right? Because I know that thing is going to be available to me again. I don't have to like gorge myself on it, right? And so that's ultimately what unconditional permission to eat is about. It's not about oh, I'm going to eat all of the quote unquote unhealthy and all of the quote unquote bad foods for the rest of my life. No, because like, honestly, that would be really boring. <laughs> but like what it's about is putting you back in the driver's seat. So you're no longer making decisions for your health and for your body in reaction to diet culture's rules and restriction, right? But you're doing it from a place of like, this is what's best for me. Something that... Uh... You said that stuck out to me was when um, you personified your body. Hey, I don't trust you. That hit hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trust is at the basis of any good relationship, right? And yeah. if you don't have trust, if your body doesn't trust you, you don't trust your body. It's not, it's not going to be a pretty relationship. Mm -mm. Yeah. It's uh, and that I, I feel like trust actually is a theme in general in, in this whole, uh, this whole area is, uh, I mean, it's really, now that I'm thinking about it, it's just a ripple effect, like trust amongst your family and friends for what you say you're going to do, like staying in integrity with your diet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, your, your spouse, let's say, uh, your coaching business, right? Like your clients, all of that. It, there's a lot of shame around the changing the ups and downs of being a cyclical called cyclical dieting or yeah yo-yo dieting yep yo -yo chronic dieting, dieting. <laughs> honestly i'm uh experiencing this myself right now because i so my little background i guess on dieting let's say is you you worked in a um fashion actually i think you're a dancer as well am i right holly I wasn't, well, I like, I danced for fun and oh, okay. we did, we did our little like dance performance together with SAS class, but like, I'm not like, okay. a, like, yeah, I'm not like a dancer. <laughs> oh my God, that might've been the last time I saw you. Probably. <laughs> Get into that another time. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, so I, I bring that up because as a dancer, I, well, I basically didn't have a choice whether or not to be exposed to bad body images, bad, yeah. like bad body image messages. Definitely had some myself, but I was a lot better than a lot of other people around me. Uh, I craved having a, an eating disorder because I didn't know what it meant. Mm. I was like, why can't I have self-control and be skinny like all these girls? 
but it led me to study nutrition actually is the long story short of that. So some good came out of it. Regardless, uh, there was absolutely yo-yo dieting from a very young age, probably 12 younger. I'm not even sure. Uh, and it, and I actually, there was quite a bit of, uh, I guess I had an undiagnosed binge eating disorder for a while as well. So that, mm -hmm. that was pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was in my late teens, I decided that that was going to end and it took a little while longer, but it did. And then I studied nutrition. So I had the knowledge base to do what was right for me, but it was still, as you said, like it's, it's still this voice that's telling you when something is good and bad. Even if I was right about that, generally speaking, and I knew more about what was right for me, it was still a pretty evil and ugly voice in the back of my mind. And uh, that continued to follow me for years. It wasn't until, I don't know when this was actually, maybe a couple of years ago, probably after I met you, uh, I think, uh, where I decided to just shut it all down and eat healthily at home like I'm, essentially vegan and eat clean at home. Uh, but then when I'm out, eat whatever I want. Like there's just no restrictions on that. And it worked really well for a very long time. And I had never felt more free. And that's, that's something um, that I, I don't want to forget. And I want to hold on to and make sure everyone else knows that the greatest part about that for me was not thinking about it and just being at peace with my body and what I was doing. Uh, but because I hadn't actually studied intuitive eating and really, I think, practiced it in the right way, because I ended up traveling a lot more or being out a lot more, I did start to gain weight mm -hmm. because I actually, I was still in a weird way dieting or had this separation of like, I clean at home and I can eat whatever I want out. Mm -hmm. And it was still a rule. It's still yeah. a diet. Yep. <laughs> I exactly. Diet. That's it. That's I tricked it. myself into thinking I wasn't dieting, but it, was, it still had those kind of well, boundaries as a diet. Uh, and, and unfortunately then it, it sort of tumbled from there. And I guess I got back into the yo-yo dieting. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, a, I have a lot of shame around that, especially, especially being a nutrition scientist like that. <laughs> there's a whole lot of shame on top of that. Woo. Uh, and now this is where I can tie it into chronic illness a little bit more. And I think this may resonate with some some of our listeners, I was recently diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome, mm. uh, which is, it's kind of like, um, it, it's, it's sort of hard to describe, but basically you're allergic in some respects to a lot of things, mm. which threw me because I don't have any allergies. Wow. I I'm not allergic to anything and I don't get rashes. I don't get, I get actually now it turns out I do get itchy. I never really realized what that was. Uh, but when I was diagnosed with that, I was like, nah, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but I have a, a serious histamine intolerance mm. um, that affects my body in, in a variation of ways. Uh, and so when you are diagnosed with mast cell, the first thing that is recommended is going on an elimination diet and eating a, low, uh, eating a very low histamine diet, mm. also taking antihistamines at the same time. Uh, since I don't have rashes and very obvious signs of, um, allergens or like, I mean, thank God I don't have I don't go into anaphylactic shock or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but it also makes the testing a lot more difficult because mm -hmm. I have more vague symptoms like neurological symptoms and general pain and whatnot. So I went on a crazy elimination diet 
Uh, and side note, I love red wine, love red wine. Like it's, I'm, it's like a hobby. I, for my, for my 30th birthday this year, my parents got me three cases of wine from the Napa Valley. That's how much I love red wine. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you, girl. Red wine is the number one worst thing for people with mast cell. Mm. So that hit hard. And, uh, so I had to cut all these things out and I went a little crazy. I was eating like just boiled potatoes and some really simple vegetables and not having wine. And I lost a little bit weight of weight. I think I was feeling relatively good, but yeah, I felt at, so deprived. Mm. And then what happens? I go to my friend's wedding and boom. Yeah. 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 That's yep. what happens. <laughs> all, all, all the stuff. Um, and I think it's a mixture of that, uh, realizing that I was going to talk to you soon, actually. Mm. And you <laughs> like, oh God, <laughs> I realized this is what I should have been doing the whole time. Um, and then also I was talking to a few doctors, some of whom said, and I think this, you'll like this, uh, sure. There are, there's some success with trying a low histamine diet. But at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for your body and you just need to listen to your body. Yes. So when I last heard that, I was like, you know what? Screw this diet. I'm just going <laughs> to my body. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Because you are like the number one authority on your body. Like that's, that's what intuitive eating is about is putting you back into the driver's seat. And again, like, you know, I know some people have some success with, with anti, whatever, anti-inflammatory diets and elimination diets and things like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm never here to like create more hard and fast rules or judgment for anyone who chooses that route. But like, just, I, I, I want to really call attention to the other side of that, like of that conversation. And that oftentimes people who go on these elimination diets, they might go on to develop things like orthorexia or eating disorders, or like they might have this like really big pendulum swing that ends up putting their body into more shock, right? Cause they're like, I'm going to be so, 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 so good. And then the pendulum swings the other way and they quote unquote fall off the wagon. Um, and then what that can do to somebody's like social health or, you know, for me, like I said, like I, I was eating from such a small list of foods that like, I couldn't go out to eat with my friends. Like I had to eat before I would go out. I'm like, I love food. Like I love, love food and I love bonding love over food. food. <laughs> so, so like there's, there's the other side of that conversation. And I think the, the world of naturopathic medicine and, and all of that, like the functional medicine, I think they're starting to wake up to like, oh, Hey, like there's this other thing we need to be talking about, like disordered eating and um, orthorexia that can be triggered when we put our bodies into this state of yeah, restriction. So thank you for sharing your story. And I think it's like, it's, it's, you're not alone in that experience. Like, I just want you to, to know yeah. that there's so many. Oh, I am not, I'm that. definitely not. Uh, yeah. And with chronic, with chronic illness, it gets a little tricky because we're oftentimes prescribed a diet. And I, I do feel that it's important to try those things out because maybe you will learn something about what makes your body feel good and bad. Uh, but other than that, then you, you really got to take it into your own hands. So I didn't find any real differences. I am, I am more in tune with my body listening to what I might be, you know, quote unquote allergic to, cause it's not normal allergies. Uh, but that aside, I realize I've already feel it's only been like two weeks and I just feel tremendously better mentally and physically. Mm. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
but then also keeping in mind what happened last time, which is, uh, yeah, I might want to eat whatever I want going out, but still listen to my body there. It doesn't like, I, I love eating healthy food. Yeah. If you want to label it as healthy, whatever, clean food, you know, real food. So there's no need to just <laughs> jump in the opposite direction when I leave my house. Yeah. Yeah. And like, can, and you know, this may or may not resonate, but can you get curious about like, when you do go out to eat, like if you were to say to yourself, like, I can have this food whenever yeah. I can have it. I can have this food whenever I can, I can make this at home. Right. I could make whatever it is. Like I could, I can, I can have this. Like that's, that's a big part of the work that I do with my clients is like having them really like anchor into this mindset. Like I can eat this. I'm allowed to eat this because what often happens again, when we are having like what feels like the pendulum swings where it's like going one extreme or the next, right? Like it's because we're putting ourselves in like, I'm only allowed to eat this then. Right. And so that makes it like when we do, when we do go out to eat, we're not actually in our sovereignty. If we want to bring up that word, we're not actually in our autonomy. We're making decisions from that menu, from a place of like, I'm never going to be allowed to eat these things ever again, or I'm going to only be allowed to eat these things like once a month or whatever it is. And it, it makes it that much harder to, to choose something that's actually like what we might really want, right? Um, because we're worried we're not going to have access to that thing. That's, uh, I mean, I definitely felt that way about wine um, earlier mm -hmm. in, in the, well, I guess the summer slash fall. And actually to go back to what has resulted from that, I, as much as I still love red wine, because I've now been listening to my body more and also took a break from it. Uh, I, I do have it now, but it's more like maybe once a week, I have a glass or two and it used to be a few times a week I would. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wine's, alcohol is not really good for anybody. So there's, there's <laughs> that, but it meant that I, it, it wasn't a scarce resource anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it's in my house and it's there if I really want it. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm craving it, I'll have a little, like, that's fine. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was denied of my favorite. Exactly. Yes. Anymore. So that's been nice. I, I think I feel better about it than I did beforehand, even when it wasn't scarce then either, yeah. but I actually, there must've been something there because I felt more compelled to drink it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there wow. could have been like a little bit of a rule there. Like maybe if it's like weekends kind of stuff, like, oh, I can only do this on the weekend or I can only like, there's a for sure, like alcohol, you know, the, the thing with like, with alcohol and food. And one of the reasons like that I talk about a lot, and this is also really controversial, like food is not addicting in the way that alcohol is addicting. And I would argue that food really isn't an addiction because it, the thing with alcohol is that you can live without it, right? Like you can, you can live your life without alcohol food. You can't live your life without. And so the relationship is really different there. Um, but when it comes to things like like wine or beer, we, we can see similar behavioral things in like how somebody might binge drink on a weekend or somebody might be like, oh, okay, like, oh, it's like this special little treat. I'm allowed to have this now. And then might have, you know, one or two more than they would actually like, and then end up with a hangover. So it's like, it's, whereas if you knew like, oh, I, I can, I can choose to have this and I can choose to enjoy this. And like, I know I can have it again. And again, it takes away that need to have it be so compulsive or like, Oh, quote unquote, overdoing it, um, to the point where you, you don't feel well, like that's that, that can really easily be oh, not, maybe not easily, but like it can be taken care of 
the more we move away from the, the rules and the restrictions. Right. Uh, so it's so liberating to think about not having <laughs> rules and restrictions. Yes. Yes. And when you, as someone with a chronic illness who does have some boundaries, like health wise, mm-hmm. you do, I feel like you, I, I, you can, I am shifting my mindset that it's not boundaries. It's not limitations. It's just, this is my body and what makes it happy. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's free within that context. Yes. And that's really yes. nice. Yes. Well, and that also means to me that uh, even if I do have an adverse reaction, everyone can deal with this as they want to. Like, I'm not going to go into anaphylactic shock or something, yeah. but yeah. let's say there's something that doesn't make me feel good. I don't want to feel that I can't ever have it as long as I'm just aware of what's going to happen when I have sure. it. Sure. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's, can we move away from it being this like hard and fast rule to, this is what my body's telling me she, he, they like want and what's okay with, with, with her. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's instead of like, and I, it, or the way I should, like, I say this with like my clients, it's like, how can we approach this from a place of abundance versus scarcity? So instead of focusing on like, oh, I can't have this. No, this is bad or wrong. Can we focus on from a place of abundance? Like, I can, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want it. Right. I like, let me add things in, let me try new things and, and see like, and, and be flexible with myself. Like, you know, I have clients who, who have autoimmune conditions who, um, do better when they follow a certain, not necessarily a certain diet, but like maybe if they don't eat certain things, they feel better, but like, they know they can choose that thing. If they, when, if, if they're really, really craving it, they know they have that freedom, that autonomy. Right. And so it makes it feel a lot less like, um, a restriction or a lot less like, um, it's like hard and fast rule that they have to follow. It's more, it's coming more from a place of autonomy and freedom. In, in light of feeling free, where does, where do you feel that happens with relationships externally? Yeah. Um, you mean, as far as like the food piece of it? Uh, Actually, no, with, um, we could talk about that too. Uh, but I meant with, uh, freedom in the relationships in your life and yeah. How do you get to a place of feeling free with others in your life? Is that, if that's, is that making sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like that's like, Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) And I think it's like, it's, it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey, but I think, you know, for myself, like the thing that has been most transformative in terms of feeling free in my relationships is knowing that I'm not responsible for anyone else's feelings or reactions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so working on codependency, right? Like, you know, somebody might feel something about the work that I do or the opinion that I have or um, the clothing that I wear or my voice or whatever it might be. They might think some type of way about me that's judgmental. Um, and the the most freeing thing that I've been able to, to, to say or to find as a truth within myself is like anybody's reaction of me is about them, not about me. And, and that ends up being a big part of the work, again, that I do with my clients around body image. You know, like if they're exp- on the receiving end of judgment for the body that they live in, it's like, that's about that person, right? That's actually not about you or your body. <laughs> um, I would say that's, and, and I don't mean that from like a, you know, sort of like 
screw everybody, you know, like that sort of like individualistic thing. Like I don't need anybody, but like the same is also true about me, right? Like if I'm having a reaction to someone, if I'm having a judgment to someone like, oh, that's an opportunity for me to look at myself, right? Like that's never, that's never about that person, right? (laughs) Like that's about me. And so that's when I get to take that work and go deeper within myself and see what they're mirroring or reflecting back to me that needs to be looked at. Holly, that is gold. (laughs) That is gold right there. (laughs) Need to make that life changing. <laughs> yeah. Life changing. Absolutely life changing. <laughs> Recognizing that the only one, I mean, a more direct uh, way that I think my husband actually said to me earlier this week was, you don't have control over anyone but yourself. Right. Now, I don't want to go on a whole control binge here, but, <laughs> but yeah, control binge. But control binge. Ha <laughs> ha. All these terms. It's like enough. a little, a little bit of a moxy moron there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's ultimately the case and also being able to let go of other people's judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Judgment is a very, (sighs) it's heavy. Like you just saying the words judgment, I feel like I could, like I'm carrying it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's extremely heavy. It's extremely heavy. Actually going on to, to judgment. Let's Let's tiptoe into the uh, the medical office. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about stigmas and body image in mm. the medical world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so and I say this like because I always like to be you know in full disclosure. Like for those who maybe are watching this live or see my photo or whatever it might be, they'll they'll see that I live in a very privileged body. You know, I'm white. I'm thin, I'm able-bodied, I'm all, I have all of the privileges that, that someone in the society could be afforded. And so it's super important for me to acknowledge that I, that I, I have thin privilege. And so my journey towards body acceptance and intuitive, intuitive eating was much more celebrated because people are like, oh yeah, like you're fine. You live in a thin body. You're fine. You know, like good for you. Like there's that like celebration, whereas somebody, and, and going to the doctors, like they, they were like, you're, you're fine on the quote unquote BMI scale, which we could talk about <laughs> the BMI scale being completely bunk. Um, so I, I didn't, I, I never received the stigma that someone who's living in a larger body might receive when they go to the doctor. And so, you know, research is showing that weight stigma, right. The, the, the judgment that somebody receives or the stigmatization that somebody receives, the assumption that somebody is on the receiving end of about their body and the size of their body is actually far worse for their health than the weight itself. Right. So weight stigma is associated with all types of negative health outcomes, whether that's high blood pressure or uh, cholesterol or, um, whatever it might be like all of the standard, like chronic, um, conditions, right? Weight stigma is also associated with that. And what oftentimes happens for people in larger bodies is that they go to the doctor and they, they go for a specific health condition. And that doctor gives them a, a, a diet as a as, as like their plan, right? Like you like lose weight. Like that's the way that you're going to make this go away. Whereas someone who lives in a thinner body would go in and get actual comprehensive care, right? They might get a medication. They might get a therapy. They might get an actual treatment. And so that's like how weight stigma plays out in our medical system, where somebody in a, in a larger body goes in and they get the prescription of weight loss, which fails 98 to 90, 95 to 98% of the time, right? Doesn't work. 
Um, and then I'll, I'll get the, the care that I actually need. And that's, that's unfair. And that's terrible for, for somebody's health and well-being. so much so that like many people of size will avoid going to the doctor entirely, right? They won't go, they won't seek the care that they need because they know that they're always stigmatized against. And so I think it's, it's really important to, to have conversations like this and call this out. And, you know, if you are somebody who lives in a larger body and you are on the receiving end of that, um, it is absolutely your right to advocate for yourself. You know, I, I encourage a lot of my clients to say things when they're given the prescription of weight loss to say, okay, show me one medical study that shows that weight loss is possible long-term, right? Show me one where it's been sustainable long-term because they won't be able to. 70 years of research shows diets and intentional pursuits of weight loss fail 95 to 98% of the time. And they could also say to them, oh, okay, that's great that you're prescribing weight loss. Like how, what would you do for a thin person, right? If I was in a thin body, what would you do? And advocate for yourself to get that care because you are absolutely deserving of it. Thank you for that. I, uh, I'm trying to think about, because I, I always play devil's advocate in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of what a good approach would be if it's a condition where, uh, where weight has shown to be a significant contributor mm-hmm. and weight loss does help. But instead of saying to someone that they should lose weight, what is another approach whilst like in supporting uh in supporting being healthier which might lead to weight loss Mm -hmm. but then also not promoting dieting Mm -hmm. that's making sense yeah i mean it and it it does make sense and and i would say like you know what i would always come back to is is like this research that that shows like three quarters two thirds to three quarters of people who live in quote-unquote obese bodies are actually metabolically healthy right so like there's there's not a lot of research that, that actually backs up right? <laughs> that like so many, like that all of these health conditions are, are, are associated with weight. Right. And it's a lot more of it is becoming debunked at this point, which is like, I think it's so important to continue to have those conversations. And, and even then, right. Even if there was, let's say like their doctor's like, no hard and fast weight loss is the only way you're going to be able to cure this. Then again, it's just like, I would send them the doctor back to the research or the, the person back to the research. Like, 70% or I'm sorry, 70 years of research showing diets fail 95 to 90% of the time. Like the research just doesn't show that it's possible, but that doesn't mean that someone can't pursue health, right? If somebody in a larger body can't pursue health and, and the way that like, I, I encourage people to, to look this up for themselves is to use the health at every size model. The health at every size is a weight neutral model that focuses on a lot of what intuitive eating talks about, but like you know, honoring your hunger and fullness, making sure you're getting enough of, of, of a variety of foods, like lots of different types of foods that you're, that you're moving your body in ways that feel joyful and good and sustainable, that you're sleeping well, that you're managing your stress, that you have good social relationships, that you're getting good medical care. Um, and, you know, on top of that too, like, I think we, it would be, I would be remiss if we didn't have also the conversation about like, social status, like not social status, economic status, because economic status where somebody, um, like, yeah, like somebody's economic status actually does impact their health, right? That's what a lot of studies show. And so, um, you know, when somebody's going to get care and something's being blamed on the size of their body, 
it's also, it's so important to look at like, okay, well, you know, do you live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of violence? Do you have access to clean water? Do you live in a food desert? Do you like, do you have enough money to like, do you have, do you have healthcare, right? Do you have enough money to pay your bills? Like all of these types of things really drastically impact health, even more so than weight and are not talked about enough. And so that's like, something that I would really love to just kind of create awareness around with people. It's like, we need to look at, again, the research that diets don't work. We need to focus on health from a weight neutral perspective. And then we also need to be having conversations about the social determinants of health and how somebody's economic status actually does negatively, can negatively impact their health. Bravo. I want to give you a clap there. <laughs> you can do the Zoom clap, <laughs> the reaction. <laughs> So I think uh, you made a fantastic distinction there, which is between dieting and um, health from a, a weight neutral perspective, because mm -hmm. sure, it's possible that they would result in the same thing could be sure. weight loss, right? Sure. But uh, that's not the way it should be looked at. It shouldn't be. So really the distinction here is a doctor shouldn't say you need to lose weight, but perhaps like whether they say it's intuitive eating or what have you, but thinking, I don't know how exactly they would say it, but think about or try on a more healthy perspective and here are some options. Um, and like, sorry, I'm looking at the intuitive eating list that I yeah. have next to me, which I wrote a long time ago, but um, yeah, making peace with food, honoring your hunger. I mean, honoring your hunger is huge. Yes. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Um, like that alone usually leads people to lose weight. <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I think if doctors were, um, could take that on, I mean, that would be huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, it would. And, you know, like, listen, I'm not a doctor, like anybody who's listened to this, like I will not claim to be a doctor, but what I do, all I, I have is my, the experience of the clients that I've worked with who, you know, those who have lived in larger bodies and actually go to the doctor and, are perfectly healthy in their labs, right? Like their labs are like, you're fine, but their doctor still pre prescribes them weight loss, which is something that could actually harm their health in the, in the long run. You know, weight cycling going up and down in your weight is actually associated with inflammation, right? And inflammation is like the, the demon of our day in terms of, our, in terms of health, right? Um, or the clients that I work with who do live in larger bodies, who have health conditions that um, are given not as good of care, right? <laughs> as, as, um, yeah. as somebody who lives in a smaller body. And, you know, I'm not, I, I, I again, I'm not here to like, to debate a doctor who has more training and experience than I do, but like, can we have a more nuanced conversation about health and can we be open to this other really powerful research-backed information, health at every size, intuitive eating, looking at the social determinants of health to have, to not place people into these categories of big body equals unhealthy, right? Can we, can we acknowledge that somebody is a dynamic human being and can we offer them um, other options for care that might be much more impactful for their health positively than the way that we've been doing it? So, you have to wrap up now, which I always hate doing with people of talking to. <laughs> but if you had, uh, I guess, one last message that you'd like to bestow upon the human care audience mm. today. Oh yeah, I'm so glad you asked this question because it's the thing that I've been like wanting to say after we've, we've taken so many awesome directions. Um, you, you, when I said about trusting your body and you, and you said, um, I, wow, you personified my body, right? 
And so what I want, would love to leave people with is actually your body is a person. Yet we often don't think about it that way. We think about our bodies as objects. We think about our bodies as something separate than us. We've been socialized to, to think about, about our bodies as objects, right? We call them its, we call them vessels, we call them machines, we call them like everything but person, right? And what I found for myself has been, and for my clients has been the single-handedly, hands down, most powerful uh, game changer in my relationship to my body is to start to think about her as a person. And so using the pronouns that I identify with her and she to define and to talk about my body actually allows me to approach how I care for myself and how I live my life with much more gentleness, much more compassion, much more love. Um, and, and I would love to invite listeners to do the same, to start to call your body, she, he, they, however you identify and notice, especially for those of you who have chronic conditions, how you might actually start to stop, start, stop seeing your body as this enemy right? Stop seeing your body as a separate thing that you want to fight or control or um, is against you and start seeing them as a beautiful yet admittedly flawed human being who is so deserving of your love and your support and your compassion and your care. Thank you, Holly. That, uh, going to take that with me all weekend. Let that ruminate. <laughs> I, uh, thank you for providing freedom to so many beings on this planet, including myself. Uh, I'm going to be revisiting this a lot. And uh, yeah, you're, you're really putting out into the world a, an idea that I wish wasn't innovative. <laughs> <laughs> I know, same here. Like, why, is, why does this have to be groundbreaking? Yeah. <laughs> it like, feels pretty obvious to, to me. Real basics. But yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and inspiring everyone who's listening. And I look forward to our next chat. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. The Human Care Podcast is part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network, a network that includes several chronic illness, disability, and health-related podcasts, including Explicitly Sick, hosted by Monica Michelle, Discomfort Zone, hosted by Jason Herderick, and of course, the original Invisible Not Broken podcast. We absolutely love feedback. Love, 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 love feedback. And connecting with you one-on-one -on -one or within our Invisible Not Broken podcast community. So please reach out to us anytime. We're open to topics, critique, you name it. This is a podcast created by us for you. You can find information about all of our network podcasts, community, and how to contact us all on invisiblenotbroken.com. You can also find us on social media platforms through the handle Invisible Not Broken and Human Care underscore podcast. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening and being a part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.